Okay, now I can do this. Seriously, what? I, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, no, not stop, that stop, mode. Stop, 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 CJ. Up in the upper left-hand <laughs> corner, there's a button called Swap Displays. Hit that button. In the upper left corner, and show where your mouse is. Swap Displays. Okay, but it's on Damn. both my screens. Good time. Good now let's go, to, let's go to the title slide. It's a shit show. <laughs> it's too bad it's not like a Google PowerPoint presentation. Because the cool thing with a Google PowerPoint presentation is CJ could be presenting and Brian could be adding additional slides in front of him. <laughs> CJ had no idea what was actually slide show that. Yeah. Yeah, it's like slideshow roulette, and you could be adding in additional Arnold Schwarzenegger slides. Because there's way too many pregnant Arnold Schwarzenegger slides in this presentation. Oh uh, the coal fire presentation I heard today, the uh, the testers that got arrested. Yeah, I actually I mentioned it. awareness. Uh, they mentioned cool. awareness. Do you have a link to that? Shoot it my way. Yeah, the article <laughs> I read basically said that they'll always have that felony arrest hanging over their heads, which really sucks. Mm -hmm. Remember when the sheriff walked into Awareness Con? That was like that was a moment. That? that was a moment. <laughs> this one time at Awareness awesome. Con. Mm -hmm. And we're like, one you know, you're on camera, right? Awareness Con, when the sheriff walked in. That was so cool. That was so cool. I remember that woman who just started yelling at Ben Wright at the end of his presentation. That was... Do you remember the other local guy that's like, I actually disagree with you, and they got in. <laughs> To an argument out in the parking lot. <laughs> it's crazy how the like, car rolls. What, Brian? Like, you think back on it, and it's like as as crazy as things are right now in the United States, and what's getting people upset that two people got into an argument in a parking lot about penetrate physical penetration tests. Like that seems so minuscule. In, in, in Adele, Iowa. Mm -hmm. right? What's that? In in Adele, Iowa. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think all the things we have problems going on in our life right now, like. That seems so like, insignificant. Like, why would you argue about that? <laughs> Look, this is this is a tale of bureaucracy gone bad. This is a, a, a pissing contest between the state and the county courthouse. And yeah. and these pen testers got caught in the middle and they got used as pawns. It, it was people yeah. making and a then, point. This was not people pursuing the law. So before we get started, how did we do a version of this before? Because Larry reached out and said that they had done one at Wildwood's Hacking Fest. Or is that the one that Did they actually done? call it exactly this? Yeah, it's uh, what to expect when you're expecting a penetration test. Uh, oh, but ours says pen test. Yeah, so it's different. <laughs> I'm posting it in the slides right now. In Wildwood's, the Wildwood's Hack. Yep, here it is. God damn it. Yeah, uh, Larry was like, "So, what you doing?" And I was like, oh. <laughs> "I'm just hazarding a guess, but theirs was nothing like this." No, they said uh, same theme, same uh, everything. And I was like, "Oh, oh did really? they have any? Yeah, did they, yeah. Have, they have an Arnold Schwarzenegger here's, theme in this? Here's what you um, here's what you need to do, CJ. You need to do what to expect when you're expecting part two. Part two. Uh, you want me to edit the slides? Actually, this is part two. Yeah. Um, and then let's do uh, let's do a slide right after this one. We're editing it live, everybody. So hang yeah. on to your hats. And then we'll do a special thanks to Wingardians. And I'm going to shoot That's you a link. Right. Yep. Fix it in production. 
So I on the graphic it is second edition because you you all told me that we had done this before and I was like, Oh, okay. So then we you then, handed me the title. You handed me the title and I said, We'll do it. This yeah, is how we got this. Edit, edit Ryan's here, he'll edit it all out. <laughs> right? I'll keep everything. <laughs> I won't edit anything this time. Ryan, I got the edit. You know, why is it just a sad, grumpy cat for an hour? Fix <laughs> your presentation. This is, this is better. Trust me. So now I tried to log again to Discord, and it wants my two-factor authentication. Oh no! Oh, so frustrating. Hey, CJ, you got to X out of PowerPoint for to log into the two-factor authentication. It's not happening, Marcello. You know what? <laughs> I have you guys on screen now. And by the way, Jason, when you handed it back to me, it allowed me to just display screen too, but it was not doing that. You have to okay. reboot your computer. <laughs> well, you're, <laughs> you're not in presentation mode yet, so. So wait, the, the slide that you posted in the chat says second edition, so this has to be third edition, right? I'm going to turn it over to Brian and CJ. Now, one of the things that I asked for this webcast I asked for it because I uh, sit in on customer calls sometimes, and I see that CJ and Brian are very good at figuring out what, a, what people need and then making sure that they give them what they need and not just superfluous extra things and, and that. So I was like, hey, this is really good. Why don't you do it for the whole community? And they're like, okay. And that's why yeah, we're we here. actually got an email from somebody asking that we do this yeah, as yeah. well. So that was kind of the impetus behind a lot of it, too. Speaking of which, I'm going to turn it over to Brian and CJ, and they're going to do today's What to Expect When You Are Expecting a Pen Test. And here we go. All right. So I've been forced at gunpoint to uh, point out that in Guardians did the same presentation at Wild West Hackenfest. Now they had the same title on their presentation. John said he was in the room. I also must have been in the room. But Jason actually handed this title to me. He thought it was a stage two, so I don't know, I don't know where we pulled this out of. But... Uh, here it is. The, the real purpose of this one, I think, Brian, I'm, I'm interested in your thoughts. I mean, we didn't really talk about this, but for me, this is to, to facilitate communication between the customers and the pen testers. In our view, there's practically nothing that you can't fix, but it's key to have a lot of communication and understanding around what this is doing. So this is kind of our, our shot at throwing out some things we commonly see. Brian, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I know, exactly. And it's sometimes when you think about it, like, um, like, We'll, we'll, we'll go over a lot of the details later, but what we've learned is, uh, like, for example, with a lot of our returning customers, they, 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 once they've kind of gone through the process with us once, it's a lot smoother process for everybody involved, right? So we thought, like, hey, if we can just pull that experience out and put it into a webcast that people could watch and kind of understand what they're expecting when they go into a, a pen test, it would kind of it would just make things easier for everybody all around, especially for, for any customer that we're working with. So. And they, honestly, a lot, there's, there's a lot of, I, I hate the term edutainment, but it is, it's going to be, we're going to try to keep it a little bit light and fun with around, around everything. But yeah, no, abs absolutely. It's just, it's just all around that, you know, the education around what to experience when you're going through, or maybe that like, you've never had a pen test with BHIS, or you've never had one in general, or your company's never done one. This is just a kind of a great overview of, of kind of how the whole process will work. Perfect. Oh, and there also is a general theme that I don't know if you'll be able to pick out across the whole thing <laughs> as well. So, all right, I'll kick it over to you, CJ. 
<laughs> All right, so the first slide is now the right time. So this happens, so there's a couple different scenarios where this happens, but we often get customers on the phone, usually people who haven't done a pen test before, but they're like, well, we're about to upgrade, we're about to implement Palo Alto firewalls, or we're about to field carbon black or something like that. Should, should we just wait till that's done? Or, or we know we have a lot of work to do. Should, should we wait on doing that? Right. And just like or, everything engineering, it's not just because we're weasels. It's like, well, it kind of depends. I would say that that fear of wait till you've arrived at security nirvana to, to bother with a pen test, I have a good argument against that. And that's that when we do the pen test, one of the things we're going to find out is the pen tester is going to see what things were super easy to do and what things did it actually take. Like, like Marcello has to pull a rabbit out of the hat to make something happen. Yeah. That will help you prioritize what to work on in your defenses. So, well, and then to kind of echo what you're saying there, a lot of times when we have customers that will come to us and they'll say, hey, we're, we've been developing a, a new internal web application or something like that, and we we need it tested. And they just came down and said that we need it tested like in three weeks because it's going into production in three weeks. So it's one of those things is now the right time. Sometimes you don't even have control over that, right? Sometimes like you've been working on a new internal web application and all of a sudden they need it right now. It's something to maybe bring up in conversations when you're developing something like this. Say, hey, is this something maybe potentially we should think about getting tested before it goes into production? Oh yeah, that's probably a good idea. Maybe I should get into conversations with a, with a firm around scheduling a test, even though I know we're, we're not quite sure as far as a launch date. So keep going. Yeah. And the other thing that I think is interesting, whenever people are talking about large structural changes, like we're deploying carbon black or silence, or we're deploying new firewalls across the entire environment. One of the things that a pen test can actually bring is focus and actually bring up problems in the environment that you may not have may not have even known were problems before you actually start implementing those. So if you have like lateral movement, you could be like, well, we're deploying this new EDR. It'd be really cool if we could have centralized firewall management to stop a firm from moving laterally in the environment. So there is no real right time, I think is what it boils down to, right, CJ? Mm. It's right. just it's through conversation. So one of the things is maybe you're still having arguments about how far to go with this. We always talk about password changes, like making the passwords longer or implementing host-based firewalls, right? You may be planning on, your, you've got this plan of where you're going, but maybe you need some ammunition to argue with management and users about why you need to do it. And the pen yeah. test can bring that to you and make it a little easier. And that, that's a pretty common thread that we sometimes run up against is we need a statement test to present to the board or to our users to say, hey, this is a bit, this is a real problem. This is not just us talking about these things that we need to do just because we arbitrarily need some sort of validation that our job is worth it, right? So statement tests can be pretty valuable as well. Yeah, I think the punch of us actually exploiting something like that versus your poor security guys trying to tell management, no, seriously, phishing. Fishing can end up owning us, and then we, like, we show them. Now they're believers. Oh, I, I didn't believe you. Yeah. On uh, web applications, that's an interesting one, right? Because I remember <laughs> this goes all the way back to John and I at North of Grumman software development life cycles, and the, the whole. This is the first time I ever heard the thing. Security should be baked in, not bolted on. And. But for, for a web application pen test, they're pretty extensive, right? Usually at least a five-day test for a web app. And you're like, do you want us to do two? Like, if you got the budget, sure, that's a great idea. 
we would tell you that John, John's got this great, and we've done a whole webcast on it. We, we want to turn your developers into security people, right? Hand them burp suite and show them how to use these things. And that's where the baked in should happen. They should be eliminating OWASP top 10 through education and, and how you develop your, your applications. Then bring us in. I would always say for your app, you want, you want to almost be there. You don't want to be introducing right. new tweaks into it. Well, and, and something that John, we, I was at uh, a conference that he was talking at as well. I don't know if this has changed. Maybe John can chime in and correct me on this. But one thing that when we're, it's, you know, in the, in the topic of web application testing, some things that you can do beforehand, before you go with anybody that tests your web application is our, one of our biggest recommendations is to run two open source tools against the, the application itself. So the first is Zap, Zet Attack Proxy by OWASP. And the other good one you can pull down is called Swamp in a Box. And when we get on calls with customers that they're asking about testing their web application, I say, hey, before we, you go with anybody, you should run these two with your, with your web application because we're going to get rid of a lot of the low-hanging fruit that we're going, that, that would kind of be a lot of white noise within your test, and we're going to be able to get to a lot more of the meat and potatoes of the test itself. So that's part of this, where are you as a program, and, and know yourself. Know your apps. The, the worst thing that happens to us is RFPs that are brought to us by the, the purchasing group or someone who's pitching the web app to us and we're trying to scope it. And this person doesn't know anything about the web app. We say, does it have an API? Uh, I, I think so. Well, how many endpoints are there? And they're like, well, I'll have to go get that information. Even your program, like, where are you? What are you trying to accomplish? Where are you trying to go? The more you know about yourself and your security and you communicate to us your, your concerns, the better job we're going to be of honing in. It's not just for Brian and I. That communication needs to go right on to the tester. We'll have some slides about that a little later as well. Yeah. And this last one is actually my favorite, like with the thinking ahead, can we have it next week? And that, that lends itself to the picture that we threw in there is it's a, it's a phrase that John's thrown out before is be wary of the dentist you can get into tomorrow. And that applies to pen test firms as well. So, you know, it's one of those things like going back to, you know, if you're developing a new web app, we want to, you know, we, we, we need it tested. It, it goes into production in three weeks. Well, now is a little bit late to get that done, right? So, and it kind of leads into the whole probably sucking at capitalism thing that CJ and I always talk about is when you should maybe not go with BHIS as a pen test firm for you. And it's something that we run up against. You know, we, we know fully well that we're not the, the cheapest pen testing firm out there, right? But we know we're not the most expensive by any stretch of the imagination. So a lot of the times we have some people that will, they just need the check in the box. And I would say that that's at, in, in situations like that, as weird as it may sound, go with somebody who's going to be able to check that box. Go with the low bidder and bring us up. Bring us in when like the level of our talents kind of merits the cost of what you're looking for. Awesome. All right. What kind of test is right for me? So it's, it's super interesting to me, and, and we get so immersed. Now I've, I've been here four years, right? And I've just I've fully assimilated the BHIS way of thinking and, and doing things. But because I'm customer-facing, I get to see a lot of that, that what people mean by red team, it's starting to get pretty solidified, but it's, it's far from a dictionary definition. And red team in particular is a fun one for us because red team means we're going to attack you like a real attacker. Everything's on the table, but then how do you want to tweak it? So 
the language gets kind of wild here for us. So this on the left, this is kind of our laundry list, the broad overview of the different kinds of things. It's fun with, uh, we've, we've changed our lingo to the compromise host testing for C2 and pivot. When I came in, we had these definitions of C2 command control with data exfiltration, which primarily meant getting the password hashes out to crack. And then the pivot, the lateral movement, escalation of privilege. So when you've got something in your head, when you're talking to a pen test firm, make sure you go through and people always ask us, what's your methodology? They expect some sort of a cookie recipe, but, but a broad view of the methodology getting an understanding of really what's going on with this. Cloud is another interesting one for us. When you talk cloud pen testing, so we got the different, we got Google Cloud, we got Azure, we got AWS. AWS is very distinctive, right? It's got, last time I checked, over 90 some services in there, a bunch of them are security services. The different one, people call some things different. So there's differences in those clouds, but what does cloud mean? For us, it usually means we're looking at the outside. It's got these layers, the external, you got the internal, how are your servers configured? And then what are the specific things endemic to, to AWS or, or Azure? What are the specific things that can create vulnerabilities so that we look at those? It gets a little gray as to doesn't, in, doesn't an internal pen test, if our, 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 our systems are on the cloud, doesn't it cover that? Like, yeah, it does. It's just how deep of a dive. It's like web app. We hit web apps on external and internals, right? The scanner runs across it. We see that surface. We're definitely going to go after. But for us, application pen test is an authenticated deep dive. We're looking at business logic. We're going in a lot further. So we spend five days at least on most web apps versus on an external. We're going to spend three days. We see the web surface. We're definitely going to peck at it. So. Yeah, and kind of going back up to what you were to the the mobile application aspect of things it's one of these that we you don't always need a mobile application test right so sometimes we have customers that'll say they need the web app and the mobile app and what we've learned from uh, bb one of our like lead web app testers is you don't necessarily we were at wild west hacking fest a couple of years ago and we and he's like you know they don't always need a mobile app tested if it's just a wrapper for the web app you don't even need to test that and so it's like, well, what's what's the situation where you would need that tested? And it goes, well, if, if there's PHI, PII, payment data in, on on the application itself, then yeah, you would want to test that. But that's uh, that's another good thing to remember is you don't always have to have a mobile application test. And and we uh, we actually had a customer this week that reached out to us, and they were like, yeah, we want all of these services that you said in the in the in the statement of work right here. And I looked at it, and there's a lot. We just gave them a bunch of options, right? And there was there was so much overlap that I was like, whoa, you don't you don't need all of that. That was were just recommendations. So we had to get on a call and kind of whittle that down to actually what they need, because, you know, it's kind of like what CJ and I were 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 talking about, like, I guess, with the, the whole proudly sucking at capitalism thing with the like the fishing, for example, like we kind of have this philosophy around fishing where, yeah, we'll do it. We, we're more than happy to do it as a company. But the cost benefit for us to come in there, it's like. <laughs> It's when, when, let me, let, I'll give everybody the, the report finding for all of their phishing tests if they want it right now. So if we come back and let's say out of 100 employees for the sake of math, 25 click the link, that's a 25 click through rate. We are going to say your, our recommendation is to do conduct ongoing phishing campaigns and user awareness train to drive down click rates. Let's say you're amazing and only one person clicks on the link, right? Our recommendation to you is going to be conduct user awareness training 
and ongoing phishing campaigns to drive down the click rate. So the recommendation is going to be there either way. What we, the way we approach it is a very, is a concept around, let's take your, let's take your security dollars and put it towards something that's going to be the biggest bang for the buck as much as we can. Yeah. So it doesn't always entitle having to do a mobile application was kind of my, my gist with all of that. Well, and for all of them. So that's what we said. You want to get the conversation. We try to be, and I think all the good, the Guardians guys, Red Siege, all of us, we're small businesses. We're very conscientious of security dollars. In bigger companies, sometimes it doesn't maybe matter as much, but money always matters. And we're like, look, there's, there's so much to do in security. There's some place where we could leverage this to maximum effect for you. And by sucking at capitalism, by doing the best job possible and help you get the best effect, we're pretty sure you're going to come back. So that's our cheap workaround. And then the last one I actually threw in there last night before we finalized the slides was for some companies, we've, we would get on calls with, with certain customers and they were like, well, yeah, we wanted to go with you guys for last year, a test that we did last year, but we decided that we wanted to go with like this super cheap firm that basically ran like an automated test for them, right? And like, we wanted to go with as cheap as we could and get like a lot of the low hanging fruit out of the way and then go to a, get a real pen test from you guys. And uh-huh. so sometimes there's things that we can do for you that are not even just pen tests or sometimes firms can do for you that are not even just pen tests. So like in the realm of like audits and things like that, you can we can do like validations for... CIS 20 critical security controls, and then we have our own internal atomic controls that we've developed as well. So there's there's lots of options for what types of tests you need to do. And sometimes this kind of goes into with, and I, I don't know if we're going to go over this one later, but if it's the first time you've ever had a pen test, you, you don't need a full-blown two-tester, three-week red team engagement, <laughs> right? It's probably best to start with, you know, the internal and external and, and, and kind of build onto it from there. So and I think we probably go over that a little bit much more in detail in the next few slides. If we don't, we'll come back to it. So yeah, it's, so that the audit thing triggered me. Like, so people tell us, we want an assessment, or we want a vulnerability assessment, or a network yeah. assessment. And, and we've got to get into the lingo. Like, my, my first question with that is, what do you mean by assessment? Because I think right. people generally mean some sort of an aud- more audit-like paper-based yeah. activity versus we look at like what we do is pen test where the rubber meets the road. Can we compromise it? One of our favorite things is, yeah, we'd like you to do an architecture review. I'm like, an architecture review? Wow, you've got a DMZ, you have firewalls. Yeah, looks like a very good architecture. The question is, <laughs> Why? what happens yeah. when it gets attacked? <laughs> the, the ambiguity around the terms, like I think assessment is the new red team. Like red team used to mean so much, but I think like you said, it's getting filed down. But now assessment seems to be that new one where we're like, ah, we don't even know what that means because it, it could mean audit all the way to a full-blown red team. So Right. It's, and so that's the big thing. Just make sure you're very clear. It seems like we get quite a few customers who really don't even read our proposal, we try to keep it pretty short. There's sections you can, can identify, but really make sure you're understanding what the pen test company is bringing to you so that, because, you know, managing expectations from both sides is very important. Now, do we have any questions do we need to go to? I saw one here. I don't know if it's being answered with, I, I really like this question with, uh, should remediation testing be part of the pen test? Um, yes. That's something we actually used to do, and it's not always required. For a lot of tests, like if you have a bunch of like, for example, this is a great thing we, we, we didn't even bring up, but like 
what we've noticed over the last few years with external network penetration tests is there's not a lot out there per mm -hmm. se anymore. So if you are just getting like an external and an internal and there's, you, there's not a lot of findings, then no, remediation is not going to really be a part of that. But if it's something you want, then then yes, it's absolutely something you can come back and do later. But we don't we don't necessarily include it as part of the test itself. Yeah, we, we, we have a tack on for that. So the big thing is when you want a letter of attestation, PCI pen tests are notorious for this too, that if you want us to write out that something got solved, then we're going to come in and validate it. Otherwise, we're hoping you can validate yourself. So go ahead, John. Well, and the other thing, when we're talking about uh, remediation testing, is you get into questions of timeframes. So whenever we started BHIS a long time ago, we actually had a while where our contracts would say this includes remediation testing. And then we would have customers that would say, well, we're contract because we haven't had the remediation test. And then they would wait six months before they actually, then they would come back and say, now we're ready for the remediation test. And then you get into questions of, okay, you didn't fix it correctly. Now we got to fix it again. So that's kind of this nebulous thing. And more often than not, what usually happens, and they talk to Heather, our program manager, and they say, hey, could you double check this? And it's something that we can squeeze in an afternoon and we absolutely look at it. Because yeah. many of our relationships with our customers are much longer term than just like a month of the test. So we try to work it in as much as we can, but trying to have it explicitly part of the contract gets really squishy because how, what's the time frame before you can do it? Do you invoice completely at the end of the testing or is it after the remediation testing? Yeah. Are your remediation buys and criticals or everything? It's, it's, it, it, that one is dicey, but we generally work with our customers to make sure they get that. Well, and then kind of piggybacking off what John was saying there is, um, and we'll, we'll talk about it more at the post-testum slide, is we, we like to try to make ourselves as sticky as possible post-engagement. We don't like to, you know, throw down the report into, into, in, into, your, into your folder and be like, okay, poof, we just disappear, disappear in a cloud of smoke and you can't see us anymore. And like, you, ha you can't ask us any questions. You can't find us. And like, you just have to figure it out on your own. We like to be as sticky as possible after the engagement. We have things like the, the, the cyber range that we do. And, and anytime, and that's, that's, that's another great point around is like, if you can't pick up the phone and call the tester that conducted your test, you know, six months to a year later and figure out, hey, I'm having trouble recreating this finding. How do I how do I do this? That's a huge plus a lot of the times to be able to get those things figured out because you can't always get around to everything right off the bat. Yep. All right. Ah, we already did that one. Why is it going the wrong way? There we go. Go, Brian. All right. So, so that with this one, with like with the attack surface thing, this is uh, we the way we like to scope things out is we don't like to do things like, for example, with our externals and stuff. We don't do like per IP where we have to have exactly like 38 live externally facing IPs, and that's you know at so many odd dollars per IP. It's this. It's this amount. But yeah, with the attack surface, we 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 generally like to get a, a, a good idea because like. You're never going to really fully know until you get in there how how much a work it would take to work through the whole test, especially with 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 web applications, right? With externals and internals, it's a little bit easier because you have a rough number of servers and things like that. But but we always like to generally swag for our best guess 
and scope out based off the attack surface of things. So like good information to have when you're when you're talking to a pen testing firm is is you know like like what CJ said like how many slash 16s like basic ranges that you have within your environments. And this is a great one. Are we going to test for everything? No, we're not, we we even say in like our MSA we can't promise we're going to really find anything. But I don't have we ever had a test where we didn't find anything? We do like a external mm-hmm. internal or anything we're like oh there's nothing there. It was we couldn't find anything at all. The default is uh, self-signed certs, informational. There, we found it. Yeah, something like that, <laughs> right? So, but you can't. I mean, this whole sampling thing. I mean, you get into multinationals. <laughs> this, how many slash sixteen do you have? People are going like, wait a minute. Like, no, we just got off a pen test where one of their internal network has four slash sixteens, and then God knows how many slash nineteens, twenty threes, and twenty fours they had. Mm-hmm. And so, what does it mean to pen test everything, right? What does that mean? Does that mean scan everything? Because we're not even going to be able to guarantee we're going to be able to scan anything when we have that kind of range. So you want it to be representative. You have companies that say have a headquarters, two data centers, and 25 remote locations or 250 remote locations. You don't have to test everything, especially if they've got kind of good standard builds. You have to get something representative that's going to point out to you what are the big things, right? There can always be some little nook or cranny. Oh, look, we didn't know that Des Moines, Iowa still had a Windows NT box on the network. (laughs) Who knew? So you just have to be careful of that expectations. But when you're talking to somebody, communicate the size of that network and what you're talking about. Can we scan across your links? Because that can, like, we've had multinationals where we couldn't scan Europe because their 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 link over there, we were we were crushing their link. So then we've got to deploy. It, it becomes almost two pen tests, but you have to figure that stuff out. Well, and a great one that we haven't mentioned yet is when you're talking with any pen testing firm, my number one question that I always recommend everybody asks with any test that you're doing is what percentage of this test is going to be automated versus manual? Because that that for me is a huge, if, if, if you're getting somebody's like, oh, it's like 50% manual, 50% automated then you know that there's probably a little bit of a pen test puppy mail aspect to that right they're going to just get in there they're going to write an they're going to run an automated script and they're going to have something or run a program that basically puts their logo at the top of it and they're going to hand it to you and say it's basically a glorified vulnerability scan versus you know any sort of test being 90 95 percent plus manual hands-on keyboard testing this kind of goes back to the old argument is you know will pen testing ever be automated and things like that and and I don't, we don't think it ever will because there's just a certain amount of outside-the-box thinking that needs to take place. And that's really kind of what you're paying for is the tester's time, right, to get a good quality report. So that question, I think, is so important to ask around how much of this is going to be automated, how much of this is going to be manual hands-on keyboard. And that's a really hard question for you when people ask that. I'm like, I don't know. We usually run the scan the night before, right? Like when we do, we scope for how many hours or days of hands-on keyboard you're getting. We usually right. run the scan on it so they set it up and run it so maybe it takes them an hour to set up and run it it's really about like they should almost be a hundred percent is the hands-on keyboard or at least looking at the results of the scanner sure. and i would think we'd be past this because i that's probably the first thing that stuck in my head when john brought me in and started training me on talking to the customers is he would always throw out that term and it's probably a sans term the pen test puppy mill and i just love it and, and people like like to laugh and giggle about it. You think it would have gone away because it's such a cliche, but we've 
oh, we've had three customers this month to say that term to us that, yeah, we kind of got pen test puppy milk. Yep. Right? Or, yep. or our results were nothing really but a scan result. And we're just like, that's, that, that horrifies it hurts. me. It hurts a lot because it kind of goes back to, so I was recently doing some uh, college courses and I heard one of the professors mention that pen testing, it's, it's kind of valuable, but not really. It's, you know, it's really just a snapshot in time. So if the tester gives you the report, as soon as they walk out the door, all those results are invalid anyways. It's really not that valuable. And, you know, you really, you really just don't get much from that. And even if you fix everything in there, the next day, you're just as vulnerable as you were before. So, and I kind of was like, that's, that really sucks that there's that perception out there around pen testing. And I talked with John about it and John was saying, well, that, that was really big perception like 10, 15 years ago. And it kind of lends itself to the question that I seen here in, in the chat by Connie is like, can an automated test ever even be considered a pen test? And I think yes. that's a, that's an interesting yes. question to ask. Yeah. Yes, it can because they called it a pen test and you have a receipt that says you had a pen test. And for some check in the box, you got a pen test. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but what's the legal definition? PCI, the PCI standard is very careful to go out and say a pen test is not a scan. <laughs> I mean, they just black yeah. and white. Yep, not an automated scan. I think your baking cookies analogy is really great. Here with this, I'll let you do that as far as, you know, we have a customer, everyone, you know, we have them like, we, we like the small to mid-sized enterprises. Right. I, I think that's I, I really like it because when we get on the phone with some of them, they'll say, you know, this firm won't even talk to us unless we're willing to throw down thirty thousand dollars for something. Yes. And so I, I think we work really great with those small to mid-sized enterprises a lot of the times because we're not we're not demanding that they have to fork out a lot of money just to get a really good pen test. And CJ, we always have a really good analogy when a customer's like, well, we only have like three externally facing live IPs. Can we do the external test in like a day instead of three days? Right. But I'll let you, I'll let you give that analogy. Yeah, so it's the baking cookies analogy, right? It's the flour and the sugar and all that is not the hard part. That's not what you're paying for is flour and sugar when you go to, you, at least when you go to a bakery to buy a cookie, when you do it at home, sure. What you're paying is the time for that person. They got to pull out the pans. They've got to mix the ingredients. And mixing the ingredients for two dozen cookies is no harder than mixing it for one cookie. In fact, one cookie actually is probably harder to do. So that number of IPs, and that's why we don't price our pen tests. It's $9.95 per IP. The <laughs> IPs don't matter. We, look, we just talked to a customer this week. They have two data centers, right? And actually, the one data center is both dev and staging. And so you're like, even though they have 150 different IPs, they've replicated each environment very similar. Same, same basic architecture, similar devices, maybe slightly different versions. That's when we talk about that attack surface. Attack surface is a very vague notion, right? It's how many things. Like, well, what's bigger, a host, uh, an environment with 20,000 hosts or an environment with 500 hosts? Well, if I give you that the 500 hosts includes, you know, 17 different varieties of Unix, three different versions of Windows Server alone, right? Each OS, each application you have, that just fans it out versus the 20,000. Oh, everything is Linux servers and everything is Windows, uh, same version, clone version. Like, well, that's a small attack surface. Right. So, when people start talking about how big is your environment, you're like, 
the number isn't isn't everything like you and I do. Right. 100 workstations or 2,000 workstations. It doesn't makes, really make much of a difference. Right. Nope. And the same thing can even be uh, almost applied to servers. If your infrastructure is just all the servers are basically doing the exact same thing, but you have 3,000 of them, well, then, you know, we're probably not going to throw a 10-day internal at you because right. we hit one server. I mean, like, it's uh, you always talk about, I think, Amazon, right? So Amazon has to just spool up more servers the more that they need, right? But the, the, all the servers are pretty much doing the exact same thing. So we Thousands don't need to. Clones. They basically clone it. Yeah. Yep. So, so that's fun. All righty. Oh, man. How much will it cost, Brian? A lot. Uh, <laughs> or no. not much. No, or not much. Right, right. So this, once again, kind of goes back to that automated versus manual. I think there's a direct proportion around if you're getting a high-quality tester that's spending eight-hour days for three or four or five, whatever, straight days on a test, it's going you know, to cost a lot more money than running an automated scan and having somebody review the scans after the fact, right? And so it really, you know, the, the cost of it, we, we like to basically do like a per week type cost thing. But once again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying in the previous slide around a lot of organizations or larger pen testing firms. You, there's like almost like, an, like a threshold to be able to get, even get the foot in the door to, to get a test done by them. And so, you know, with this one, for example, we like to like time box our web applications at like five days, right? So they can go up in complexity based off the functionality of the app, the number of roles, you're doing geolocation and time timesheet management and uploading and downloading of documentation. Like the complexity can make things go more, right? But there's also there's always that cost benefit analysis that you have to you have to evaluate, right? So we always joke on calls with 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 customers. It's like, you know, you can give a tester 30 days for like a three-day web app, and we'll be pulling them away from the keyboard at the end of those 30 days, and they'll be screaming, there's a zero day in there somewhere. There's a zero day in there somewhere, right? So managing that cost-benefit analysis is really, really huge, and we tend to be pretty flexible with that because everything is essentially time-boxed, right? So if you come in and you have a, an absolutely massive web app, time and budget only allows for five days, we're going to throw as much as we can at those, at those five days and give you some really good triage effects. And, and sometimes that's even a finding, right? Sometimes we get into tests and it's way bigger and way more complicated than we, than we were uh, expecting going into it, right? Well, that in and of itself, a lot of the times is a finding. It just, the finding is you need more testing time down the road. Yeah, so that's one of those frustrating things when we lose big RFPs. Or remember, I would get a customer come in and he goes, "I have twenty applications, and they need a deep dive, deep scrub." And so we're like, twenty applications times five hundred days of testing. Like, geez, right? Like that's gonna hurt. So we, uh -oh, we put that thing in there, and then they're like, "Yeah, your bid was too high," and we're like. <laughs> How do I compare this bid to that bid? Because that other customer went in there and said, yeah, we'll do a day per app. So 20 days of, of web app testing. And, and so they win. So how yeah. you compare, because, and that's why I got the, so this three-legged stool thing. I had a boss, one of my first mentors, she made me manager of a help desk. Thank you. 
but she had this three-legged stool. You can have it cheap, you can have it good, or you can have it fast. Pick any two. And that's like when you're producing things, right? You want things done fast, you have to have people on call. That's why incident response is so expensive, because you need something super fast. And if you want it fast and good, it is not going to be cheap. It just isn't. And so those are the things we trade off. So just realize that every pen test company out there is doing the same thing. Time is money. And then the only other variable is the quality of the individual doing that. And that's one of the big things between us. I've seen some sample when we actually asked for a, 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 a proposal from a bigger firm, and they gave me representative resume. You're like, a representative resume? Is this a real person? Is this based on a mashup of three individuals? Who is this? Mm. We have premium testers, all of our good and guardians and, and, and Red Siege and 40 North. They have premium talent, and premium talent is expensive. And if it's not, you have to ask yourself, what's going on? But those are important factors to keep in your head. And I see Marcello over there. What's going on, Marcello? Hello. So I, we don't have a lot of questions in Discord, but there seems to be a lot of questions coming in from GoToWebinar. So I'm just going to ask you yeah. a couple. So do you guys try to always use multiple testers per engagement, no matter how small, for multiple perspectives? No. no, we use we like to use schedule one tester per engagement. Now that can that can engagement is another one of those terms. It's like okay, so we can work with one company in on on an engagement that can be like eight different tests, right? So we're not going to have one tester do every single test that's in there. But typically, like for example, if a customer is doing an external internal C two pivot web app, let's just say all of those, there's probably maybe we'll do the same tester for the uh, external internal. Uh, the same tester for the C2 pivot and then a separate tester for the web app. So we like to have as we like to have a test one tester focused on one test at one time. I've heard from when I was at a conference once a couple of years ago and I was talking with another person that that worked on the the inbound call team and they were like, you know, well we have to have this tester and they they're doing like these three or four different tests at one time and that just sounds really stressful to me. As a tester, and Marcello, you That's could probably chime in on what to do. It's, but Marcello, the, the interesting thing, though, one we would say rotate testers, and we'll talk about rotating firms later. But as you know, we have pod meetings. Multiple, you guys are in chat. When you're doing something and you run up against something you haven't seen, you go right to the other testers. I mean, so we're super tightly knit, and and when you hit your head against the wall you're talking to somebody else. So you're getting multiple testers inputs on any given test. So it, we've never really had a problem with the quality. And I don't think like our approach on a pivot, lateral movement, different things, we tend to learn. And so I'm not sure how everyone's got a little different flavor, no question. But. Right, right. And then I don't know if you're going to ask this one, Marcello, but the next one I really like by Ian, how do you handle a scenario that if you own the environment on the first day? I love that question just because I, I literally got it last week from somebody and it was because we were going to be doing a pivot form, right? Which is like an assumed compromise test. And their big concern was that, hey, it's a five-day test. I feel like we're soft and gooey on the inside with a hard, crunchy outside. Their external is good, but their internal is really not so good. Like, I think you're going to get domain admin in day one. What are you guys going to do? I'm like, well, they're going to back up and go in and find another route to get there. They're going to find multiple different avenues of, of ways to get to that conclusion. And it's not going to just be like, all right, domain admin in one day, 
I'm going to sit around for four days and sip my ties. I'm not going to do anything, right? It doesn't really necessarily work that way because, I mean, the time that it, and yeah, but anyway, sorry, CJ, what were you going to say? No, that's exactly it. Like if we've had, I remember Derek Banks got one and a half a day. So he went, right. You know, he, he followed the thread out. He went and owned everything, but then he went back and said, what other paths are there? So that's always, so this breadth and depth thing is the other trade-off. The difference between an external and internal and the, the compromised host test. One, you're following a kill chain all the way down. If you make it really quick, you can go take another slice. But on like an internal, you're going broad. And then people like, well, on your external pen test, are you going to proceed on to domain admin? Like, no. No, we have to look at your whole surface. We're trying to find all the gaps. So understand the concept of breadth and depth. Um, and what else? What if during a test, I guess one more because there's a lot of them and go to webinar, but we'll, we'll answer them later. But what if during a test, the client gets compromised? Do you stop the test or yep. go to incident and go to incidents response mode? We, we've switched to thread hunting. Like, yeah. Yeah. We, we pull out and we, we've, we've actually switched to like a threat hunt engagement for customers with remote. Or, or just full stop because you cannot, yeah. you do not want to muddy the waters. Exactly. Start, they have to now look for a real attacker and you cannot be, oh, oh, although we've had customers who said, nah, we're not going to worry about that. Keep going. We're like, are you sure? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. I'll let you guys continue and then we'll, we'll go to a quick fire round afterwards. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. I prefer questions, honestly. Like, just I, I like the questions. questions a lot. Yeah. This is a good one, though, Bri. What are the risks? Will anything bad happen? No. Maybe. No. Never. 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 I guarantee you. Nothing's bad. <laughs> yeah. Nothing bad has ever happened at all, ever. <laughs> no, but it is rare. It is, it is extremely rare. And I don't think we've had any situations in a long, long, and even the last one, it was just basically like, oh, yeah, the pipe was too small for the scanning. Okay, that's it. We took yeah. care of it very quickly, right? But I mean, that's not to say. And then, and it, it kind of comes down to the way we we set up. Like our scanning is set to PCI standards. We're very, very careful in SCADA and, um, I mean, SCADA oh. environments and things like that. Hospital environments, very, very careful with things like that. A lot of experience with things. And I don't think we've had any situations for an extremely long time. I mean, nothing like catastrophic at all, right? But it does happen, right? It's, it's, it's almost unavoidable. But this kind of also goes back to once, a, if we test a web app for five days and we discover there's way more there or an internal for five days and there's way more there, that's a finding, right? So for example, if we're testing, if we're running a scan on your external footprint and it knocks something over, that's a finding. That's not good. <laughs> that's not good at all, right? Do I need but to fix that, Brian? That's something you should think about, right? So but so those are kind of some examples of things that bad things that can happen during a test. But those are, I mean, in, in, in all actuality, it's, it's a good thing that those, that, that was discovered. So you can fix that type of stuff, right? Cause if we're knocking stuff over on an external scan, that's not great. Yeah. We've got all these customers have been coming to us lately wanting after hours testing and it's after hours testing on an external. I'm like, what are you like? Really? Like we just, I was going to do some stories, the types of things that can happen. So we had a city in New Mexico we tested, and uh, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what the tester was doing, but we bricked a pair of switches, really old Cisco switches. And 
And we were freaked, right? Because these things, not only they go down, but they wouldn't come back up. And this organization just kind of chuckled and said, oh, yeah, we've had those on the list to be they're out of They're out of support life cycle by like years. And we're just like, that's part of your infrastructure. So that happened. I remember there was a pair of firewalls that had sort of a heartbeat going between them for load balancing. And they actually had a misconfiguration. And I don't remember what we were doing there either. But again, but it screwed up that heartbeat and shut one down and and they were like freaked out and and they're like what 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 did you do and we're like which is <laughs> john john's stories the reason john's such a good trainer he says he'll tell you a story that'll stick in your head that just carries everything for life and it's the the monty hall let's make a deal would you like to try what's behind box number one you know and it's it's the donkey and the wagon instead of the ford mustang pen testing is inherently What's behind door number one? If you're gonna if you're gonna open the door, you're gonna get what's behind the door, and so you're the customer's protected from us being negligent, willfully. What willful misconduct are the types of things we see in the service agreements? Like yes, we cannot just purposely, you know, finger of death your systems and knock things <laughs> over on purpose. But that stuff is what happens. So yeah. it does happen. Generally, it's just something that gets slightly impacted. What do you got, Jason? Hey, I have a question here. I'm not. Sh- I can't remember if you're going to get to it. Do you, do you have rules of engagement that everyone ensures are observed? Yes. So when we do our rules of engagement, that's essentially what I tell people is that's where you get on the same page with the tester that are going to be doing your engagement, right? And you set expectations for where everything's, you know, they don't go here, don't do this, go here. This is our objectives. And these are really good things to have in mind before you even have a conversation with any pen testing firm is what is what do I want out of this test? What do I want? Do I want to check the box? Do I want to really know what I I really want to make sure that, you know, our internal we, we, we can detect this we want to do or I really want to make sure that. It's very collaborative when we do some detection tuning type things, but having those types of things in mind. Even going into conversations with stupid people like CJ and I are really important because we're not testers. We don't know those types of things. But having those types of of understanding of what you're expecting out of the test beforehand is great. And then even more so before the rules of engagement call, because that's where the test is going to basically say, what, what, what can I do for you on this? This is the, the, the name of the test is the rough outline of what we're doing. But really, what what do you want out of this test? Why are you doing this? What can we do for you? ROE, we go over all those big W's, where, when, why, mm-hmm. you know, like how, what, what do you not want? <laughs> like, right. we and do not want our customer database to get knocked over. And we'll go, we'll do very light touch on that. If we see anything, we'll check with you. So customers and networks can be a lot like snowflakes. They're very unique and you have to tailor it. So again, that's this whole communication, communicate, communicate, communicate. What kind of is, is, lends itself to the, the very next slide too, like during the engagement. So this one's really great because when the test is being conducted, a great thing to set up as far as for an expectation with any test that you're going into is what level of communication do you wanna have? Do you wanna have hourly phone calls with the pen tester or do you not want them to even talk to you at all and just give me the report when you're done? Granted, neither one of those I would recommend, but those, that's the two extreme that you could be thinking about when you're going into any sort of, of tests. Like we could set up separate Slack channels for you to communicate with the tester. 
at any particular time throughout the test, like they can say, hey, I'm doing this, watch out for it. Okay, thanks. And you can have constant communication. We've even had one customer that requested to have a camera pointed at the pen tester the entire time that they were doing the test. So it's one of those things where having that good communication is really starting with what expectations you want on your end. And, and, and what, what level of detail are you wanting the tester to disclose to you when they're going through the engagement itself? You want to take the next point, CJ? What, what if, if you're I'm not, not happy, happy with the doctor? So we have had, I've been here four years. I'd probably say we'd had three customers who've been mad. One had a, a pivot and they thought that their environment was super soft and we should have gotten through and, and we just ended up in hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. So we always listen to the customer. So we're like checking like, oh my God, did we screw up here? What's going on? We had other testers look at it. We, we did it right. The PHIS stands behind our work and it got Craig. I know Craig has a fishing thing that kind of went sideways and we're going to redo a portion of it. We want to stand behind our work. If you're not happy, we certainly can't fix what we don't know about. As mm -hmm. soon as you sense any unease, again, communication, the quicker, the better, the faster we can change. All of our testers, they want to hear if they're not on target. I mean, we are just a group of John hires for pleasing people that want to please people. That is our aim. If we're missing it, we're not going to be happy about it either. You certainly are going to be unhappy, but, but we need the communication as quick and as possible fast as possible. If you feel like you're not getting it from the from the, the, the front line from the tester, escalate. We got Heather mm -hmm. will be happy to talk with you. I'll be happy to talk with you. John will be happy to talk with you. So okay. the company should stand behind their work. That's the reputation. Most customers we have probably don't even know that. They're pretty happy with what we do. Um, yeah. but if anything's ever wrong, we are there to make it right. Occasionally that just doesn't happen. It's not very unfortunate, but it's very rare. So, yeah, I don't have anything to add to that. I think I want to get away from the Arnold Schwarzenegger baby gif. Dude, Thank you me. know that made you laugh. It's hard, hard to watch. Post-testing right, so depression. Post-testing depression. Yeah. So this kind of goes back to that stickiness thing that I was talking about earlier. We want to make sure that that. If we're working with any customer in post-engagement after it's been several months even, be able to answer any questions when you're trying to recreate the findings and things like that. But a great place to do this, obviously asking for a debrief post-engagement to know, essentially, having somebody give you a rundown on the report itself, making sure you understand everything is really important, especially because that information is recent and fresh in the tester's mind. The more time goes on, they see a lot of different engagements and experience a lot of different things. Trying to remember your test specifically could be pretty difficult for testers, especially because we don't keep the reports around forever, right? We can't just go back and look at the reports right off the bat, and we don't just keep them sitting in a pile by the side of their desk, right? So um, having that debrief is really important, and you can even bring on management. We've done we've had customers that have been like, we want a technical debrief and then a management debrief. That's perfectly fine as well. That kind of goes back to the whole don't be afraid to ask because you won't, you know, you don't know unless you ask, right? So if you want something from your pen testing firm, ask them. Because more than likely they're gonna say yes because they want to make you happy, right? They don't if they didn't want to make you happy and they didn't care, they'd probably be on the other side trying to break in illegally. 
So we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing and making people happy. And any good pen testing firm is going to do that. Compare yourself with others, really. So I'll let you take this one, CJ. Yeah, so you you get this, the question. People want a letter grade. They want to score down to the three decimal places of, of their score, how good they are. How do we compare? How do we compare to our peers? So this talks about industry silos and things. Here's the thing. Your pen, our pen testers do say 20, now they do 40, 45 tests a year, right? So no matter who you ask, you're getting a view and you're getting a subjective opinion. I think we can put you in a kind of a quartile pretty easily. You guys are in the top quarter. We know when people are in the top 10%, you're just dying. But it's really odd to keep, I mean, management loves to compare themselves with others, right? They want to know where they stand against their peers. What really matters is where you stand against yourself. Where were you last year? Where are you going? So it doesn't hurt to do this. We've got this, the typical heat map of where we score you. What does that score mean? Does that mean you're going to get hacked this year? No, probably means it's more likely. The more findings we have, the more likely you are. But scores are they're, they're vague and random. So beware. Which, we get customers push back a lot. They want to change their score. We don't think this is a high. We think this is a low. And this gets into that sort of point is like, do you want our opinion or do you just want your opinion? Because we're going to hand you a Word document version of this at the end. And if you want to change the risk score, go ahead. But we're trying to give you a professional opinion. We're not trying to be inflexible. We will listen to things that you think are mitigators or you don't think that data is a big idea for your company. You know, we're willing to talk about that. So, again, open up a conversation. Respect the test company's integrity that, you know, if you've made your argument and they still disagree, probably where we need to stand. How do you deal with your parents and management? Your parents and the parents and the baby thing. Management. So management can get very upset with test results, um, and especially if test companies differ. We always follow companies that said, we had a really clean report. <laughs> you guys just ripped us to shreds. They're <laughs> like, did you want to keep your head in the sand or not? You've got to take, it's essential that we skipped a bullet earlier about, you know, knowing where you stand. It, it's the most important thing in security is that you're improving. You can't arrive. It's just not that easy. So you take that educational approach. We are looking to educate, to enlighten people, to make them understand so that we all do things better. Um, so your goal in intermediating with the report is to let management know what's good about knowing these things when they're shocked and they're upset. And like, take that energy of shocked and upset and let's focus it on solutions. How we got here, you want to fire somebody? Great. <laughs> but who's going to fix this and how are we going to fix it? Jason. Right. And yeah. yeah. So this feels like a really good time for this question. How do you handle a scenario where a customer says, I don't want that reported as a finding? We can't do that. That's that's just an integrity violation. You when want me goes to back to, and be silent? You want me to lie? Yeah, I, it goes back to it's going to be a docx file. You want to change it after the fact? It's up to you to change it, but we're not going to. We we can't do that. Well, and it, and it also kind of goes back. I mean, you going back to what you were saying, CJ. There's also the other side of that coin as well, where we've had customers that have been like, they brought us in for a pivot, and they're like. You didn't own us. Like, why didn't you own us? Like, I thought you were going to completely eviscerate us. Like, why? Why didn't you? And we're like, well, you got 
two you got you got your firewall set up right you got your password policies fantastic you got detections are great everything was really you're really great and they're like but i really wanted you they're like some sort of infosec masochist they're like i wanted you to, to destroy us i'm like we just you're doing really good so that's that's the other thing if sometimes you're and that's what i love too like you talk with certain customers and they're like oh you're going to destroy us you're going to absolutely obliterate us and they end up being probably some of the better customers that we work with as far as the security and on their inside because they, they take it very serious and they're they, they know where they're at they know that they, they always know that security is not like that destination thing right mm -hmm. it's that process you're, you're all it's a it's a continuous thing and so they always feel like they're they're measuring themselves against this perfection thing that's never going to happen and they're going to feel like i'm horrible and they're doing a really good job so conversely if you get some if you get results that are really really low like for example we say your findings were really low you were expecting critical that's that's a good sign don't be upset about that you have options that's the beauty it's like being at the the chosen reservoir you're surrounded awesome yeah. we can attack in any direction it's perfect you have a lot of opportunities to fix so all right last slide yeah can i have another one yes yes you can and should because security is absolutely cyclical like we've how many times we said it you're, you've never arrived there's always new things opening up your environment changes misconfigurations happen yes you want to figure out the right pace for your customers do this all the time too like well when should we do it i'm like i don't know what's your pace of patching and fixing right how bad were the things we identified do you have to completely restructure your domain uh, architecture it may take you a year to do that do not fire we try not to fire hose you either we don't want you to do five tests in the month of right. January because we're going to throw so much at your team you can only work on so much pace yourself spread it out to get maximum effect on this well and it kind of like a general roadmap that i always try to instill in a lot of customers that i talk to is you know so let's say you've never had a pen test before your company's been around for five ten years whatever and you've never had a pen test but you now your management says okay we need a pen test because we have a customer that we're working with that they want to see a pen test report so we got to get one right so we better we better we better do one. let's get a good one so let's get a red team right let's get a two tester for three week red team that's not a good idea let's don't let's not do that let's let's crawl, start walk, off run. crawl walk run so in that with in, in in the theme of that analogy so the crawl aspect i don't even like that I don't, it's not a crawl because it's still very good testing as you can get a lot of good results but like i think a good first year test in those types of situations would be like a standard external and internal network penetration test Sometimes we have customers that say, I just want an external right now. I just want to focus on my external. Or we would almost argue that if you have to pick one or the other, depending on your patch cycling, and if, you, if you're patching on a weekly basis and you're staying on top of that stuff, then great. You can go with the internal because there's always more to find on an internal typically. Okay? Whereas if you're like, yeah, we, we patch every six months and uh, we don't even have, we, we're using OpenVos as our scanner. Is that any good? Well, okay, let's start with let's start with an external. Let's do an external. Let's just start there, right? That would be fine. But like I would say, if you can do them both together, fantastic. And then okay. maybe depending on the results from that, and if you clean it up really well and you're feeling like you're really taking care of that, next year you could start with something we like to call poor man's red team, right? So that's the internal assumed compromise testing that would basically be like a C2 and a pivot type test. Those I I personally feel like those are probably the the 
best bang for your buck tests for an organization that's really wanting to take their their security to the next level just because that's where the rubber meets the road if somebody clicks on a link if somebody goes somewhere that they shouldn't have and their computer gets compromised what can an attacker do in that situation right so a c2 pivot i feel is great and not everybody gets to this top level i guess you could say or whatever but a, a full-blown red team would be the next step after that. But not, like I said, you don't ever even need to think about that. If you're doing really good internals, you're in, you start getting some good philosophy around your security. Uh, you don't necessarily always have to get to that full-blown red team aspect of it yep. as well. All right, and then we're about out of time, so we're hitting the time mark perfectly. Changing doctors, this is the most painful for us. We love our customers. Uh, we have a great time with them. Sometimes they love us. Good practice is to get differing perspectives. As much as our testers have their slightly different views, mm-hmm. uh, I, I think Rendition just sent us a customer this week. We've sent in Guardians customers in the past couple months. Customers need to move on. I advise people have a stable of pen testers. You know, get three or four companies you yep. like, and and that gives you some flexibility and timing and things. But it will get you that different view. That different perspective is very important. A lot of people want the same tester back. And I'm like, eh, do they know your environment? Are they got a head start? Yes, but sometimes you want a little bit different view, see what else people have. So with that, Brian, I think we are wrapped up and we might yep. even be over time, but time you're right questions. on time. We, we have so time? many you have so many questions. We're gonna stick around for a rapid fire post show banter. Like, we're just going to go at it. But if you need to leave, we totally understand. And at this point, this is the end of the official webcast, but we're going to do the rapid fire starting right now. But before that, good job, everybody. Good job. All right, just shake it up, shake it up, shake it up. up. So if you can't stick around with us, we're just going to keep answering all the questions that we have because there is a ton of them. And then, Marcello, what you do is you ask one, I'll ask one, you ask one, I'll ask one, you ask one, and we'll keep going back. You first, Marcel. Oh, my first. Okay, sorry. <laughs> All right. Uh, how do you handle a manager who doesn't know how to estimate the time needed for a pen test? Example, five days for an external and internal pen test. How do we handle? Um, ask the experts. I mean, you got to, if you get multiple estimates, um, you kind of use that as your ground truth. Awesome. Is it possible to have a pen test with no vulnerability? Have you awesome. ever had that in your in your experience? It's possible, but anything's possible. How do we handle that? Uh, I think we send them like, depending on what kind of test, like a honey badger type award, and well, yeah, we we'll, we'll, we'll take we'll send you some shirts and swag if if you have an environment with no vulnerabilities that we find in it. That's we're trying to work on the coin, it. right, Jason? The coin, the honey badger coin. Coin's coming, twenty twenty one. Yes. So the premise of that question is very interesting. No vulnerabilities. So that means no results from the vulnerability scan. Marcello, you ever seen that? Um, no, never. In an internal environment, absolutely not. Never. There's at least there's no way. Unless it's like the environment consists of like two machines. I mean, <laughs> right. it's my lab. It's yeah, my yeah. lab with no services open. Yeah. And so. So the other thing is just because your vulnerability scan is clean doesn't mean that you're not, there's no exploit there. You could have a web app scan that comes up clean and we can own you. The automated tool is not the be all end all. It's an indicator. It's an indicator of pretty tight surface, but 
we'll stop there. And uh, isn't risk score controlled by regulations, i.e. SOX, PCI, HIPAA? No, it's not controlled by that. There is the CVSS and the CVE. And the tools, the scanners kind of come up with an initial one. The tester looks at that, the environment, the ease of exploit, all those things, and comes up with a more subjective score on that. So right. they're not controlled by regulation. This is not a mathematical formula. Is it just for the U.S. or is there other countries that maybe those are controlled? Everyone uses CVSS and CVE as okay. well. So this question I'm asking on behalf of Mubix, because I've talked to Mubix before. And this is a one setup. Of pet, one it's of his pet peeves is, all right, so have we ever done a pen test for a company, or are there pen testing companies or organizations that when it's the second pen test, you see that they didn't fix anything that you found in the first pen test? Yes. Sadly. Yes. Many. Just a few. A few. We have customers that are very frustrated. And we, we, we still love them. Still try to love them, but we're very frustrated with finding the same things and then nodding their heads. And it's just, it, it makes it feel like we wasted our time because we're not about doing the test. We're about moving security forward. And that is failure in our view. So we feel like a failure ourselves. It's not really our fault. This is interesting. Well, with more automation, are the days of pen test numbered? Can something like Nessus cover compliance? Why does it matter that a pen test team will always get in with, with zero days or AD? I'm not exactly sure what that last statement means. But. Compliance? Did you say compliance, my friend? You are fully compliant. This is, this is another great John story. So he's giving this talk. He's like, can you imagine the, the reason you're in security? This is his motivator. The reason you're security. Can you imagine you've lived a full life? You're at the end. You're in your deathbed. Your family's gathered around you. Few of your professional friends. And they're all, your last words are, at least my network was compliant. Like, <laughs> look. Well. And to add to that, I think at the end of the day, as soon as the APTs out there start using automated, maybe maybe then that's automated pen tests, that's all they do, and nobody does any sort of manual testing, then automated pen tests will be just fine, too. That's true. Compliance and security, don't confuse the two. Compliance is not useless. I demean it on occasion because managers think compliance is the be-all, end-all. And it's not. It's security, which is why that's like doing an architecture. Architecture is compliant. But Marcello owned us in 23 minutes. Are we secure? No, you're compliant. You're not secure. Except that PCI wiggles out and they say, if you get hacked, you are automatically not compliant. Ta-da! Calm down, CG. Calm down. It's okay. Talk about compliance policies and procedures. You're going to get him worked up. Just a nice. warning. <laughs> Uh, how does a bug bounty program complement the penetration testing programs? Very nicely. It's another another view. Not everyone can do a bug bounty program, but they, when they they fit, they work very well. They have been very efficient, very successful. It's a complementary approach. So just one thing to add to that, I was recently doing a job hunt, like a live job hunt, and we were looking for security positions at a a uh, well-known gaming company. They didn't have any. Like they really didn't have any security positions because their entire 
program was a vulnerable uh, bug bounty program. Like that was their security team was the bug bounty program. And I found that fascinating. I think they had a couple of people that helped manage the bug bounty program. How does, their the whole bounty, security. how does the bug bounty program work on their workstations? I think it works on their application, but that's not everything in security. So that's I, just... I think, I think there there is one, I forget, I'm blanking on the name, but there is like one bug bounty program that allows you to get access that that does that that does that too. Like you, they act, they give you access to their internal networks. I forgot the name though, and it's ballsy, yeah. ballsy. I agree. Yeah, and that's, and that's the problem. This is why banks and big financial companies and hedge funds don't do it because how do they know that they can't? There's programs that are managing the integrity of their testers. There's open bug bounty programs where anyone can play, and that could be a little caveat emptor. So. Uh, let's see. Oh, man, there's so many. Okay. Do you ever run into a situation where you do a pen test for an organization that you have done significant consulting for, however, have some serious findings? We don't do a lot of consulting. I know a lot of companies are very hard over on separating consulting from testing, right? Because it's like audit. You know, the people doing the audit cannot be the people who advised you how to build your system. So a lot of people want that separation. I feel like we've got the integrity that that if Brian consulted somebody on their security controls and Marcello goes to test him, Marcello is going to have no mercy. Um, but how does a company know that? How do they know that we're not? They have to trust us or not. And so most people will implement that kind of separation of duties. And it's understandable. Oh. We're not going to throw rocks at it. Well, we got more questions coming in. Awesome. Thank you for more questions coming in. Like, this helps. What level of maturity would you say an org needs to be before starting participating in a bug bounty program? To get going, man. Do not, this is the same thing with getting a pen test. Get going. Start fixing the problems. The earlier you are aware and start fixing, the better. And it's a Pareto. You will, you will knock out the low-hanging fruit quickly. And move up. I would say though that you should be doing things in a bug bounty. Are you using? Are is your are your developers using Burp Suite, Nikto, Swamp in a Box? Those things and knocking out OWASP top ten before anything gets going. But yeah. don't wait. Don't wait for you to get hacked because you're like, well, we got to wait till we get security right. Then we'll then we'll have an assessment so that we we get a good score because it's all about the score. It's not. It's about improving. Okay, I think we answered this one. Do you have rules of engagement that everyone should ensure are observed? Yeah, we did that one. We did, oh, sorry about that. Yeah. Sorry, uh, that. That's why you have the harder job, Marcello. Why you're <laughs> looking at questions, you do not hear our answers. To <laughs> do you test against specific attacks like Mazewalker ransomware? So mm -hmm. ransomware is a real fun one. And Marcello, you can correct me on this. People always say, uh, we want a ransomware test. Like a ransomware test, ransomware is exploiting common things, right? SMB, patch, general patch levels, lack of proper separation of, of duties and, and access controls. Testing for ransomware, like we're not going to encrypt your files to see if, if we can get away with it. But the things we're attacking in a general pen test are the same things that that ransomware exploits. So if you've got specific concerns like that, understand what Mazeware is doing 
and what the vulnerabilities are and talk to the tester about that. The tester will like, oh, yeah, I can see if you're vulnerable to that in a heartbeat. Am I wrong, Marcello? No, no, we can, yeah, definitely. I mean, we could compare like some of the indicators of compromise with the ransomware and then simulate some of the uh, mm-hmm. TPPs that that ransomware uses in environments. And yeah, that's, that's totally possible. Absolutely. But yeah. like, is eternal blue in your environment? Because what, what it, like, what's not Petya exploiting, right? Yeah. It was yeah. A, a failure to do just standard patches that Microsoft had recommended for months. So if we do a stupid scan and we see that you're not patched, we'll go, you're still vulnerable to not patch you. So I think this goes along with uh, what you were just talking about. So what are your thoughts on disclosing known issues to the pen testers, I guess, prior to the test? Should we see if they are found and perhaps explore other angles or disclose to avoid losing pen tester time to known issues? Pete, want to take that? Yeah, I, it depends on the kind of the, the, the different tests that you're doing. And if you're doing like a, a red team, you're going to want to see what we're what, a, what a, an attacker would be able to see, right? But if we're doing a a web app, you tell us as much as crystal, crystal as you can make it for a web app is great. I, I would say, okay, so here's what, it, this is a great question because it leads to another one of these things that CJ and I always harp on is at what point are you testing the tester versus testing your environment, right? Do you want us to spend our time seeing how great our tester is or do you want to see what problems and vulnerabilities are in your, in your environment? So the more information you can disclose more often than not outside of, I would say, like a red team, then I would disclose, I would give them as much information as you possibly can because it's going to make the test more efficient. They're going to find more things. They're going to be able to dig deeper on a lot more. Cheat. We say cheat, cheat, cheat. You know, we want to know why? Because you're not paying a hacker, but we have, we have 40 hours, say, window to work, and we want to be as efficient as possible, and that means cheating. Marcello could go spend 100 hours doing research and figure stuff out very low and slow, but do you want to pay for that? I mean. I think that's a, we'll do it. We'll do it. If that's what you want, we'll do it. But see, here's the thing. When customers, when customers have an idea we disagree with, and I saw a couple questions about this, we're going to advise them. Yes, we can do that. Here's what you're trading for that, right? Everything's a trade-off. So communication, again, full disclosure stuff. Okay. I'm not exactly sure what, this one means, but I'm going to ask it anyway. When you are a seasonal security consultant and customers' questions are way more than what they pay for you, would you concern to answer them all for the sake of security? Uh, I so, think I know what's getting at. Okay. Yeah, so you have to do you have to do your best. Go above and beyond. Do not kill yourself. I have to tell my testers this every day because the testers' thing of no test is ever complete and their, their desire to please, they will take a 40-hour window and they'll work 60 hours. And, and you should not do that. You should do the best you can within the time, what's reasonable time. We're not clock watchers. We almost always go over on the effort we do. But the, the answer is give the customer everything you can. They will come back for more as long as you're doing a good job. And, and going a little bit of the extra mile, that doesn't hurt. Yeah, but you, you mean if 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 you're doing if you're contracted to do like an internal network pen test and you get in there and they're like, well, we want you to do a pivot too. Oh, you know, yeah, you you, you don't want to. You have right. to tell them that they're trading if we do that. Right. 
Hey, there's there's the birthday boy. What's up? John's back? I can't see. It's a little blurry. What else we got? Does pen testing involve social engineering? Or can you... That's <laughs> a good one. Does it include social engineering? Uh, I think it's like you guys talked about. A, a lot of... You know, we can argue about pen assessments and audits, but ultimately it's about giving the customer kind of sometimes getting them to a better position where they know what they need and, you know, the onset whether or not they want to do that. Because we have customers that are like, no, social engineering is a waste of time. And we ask why. And they're like, because we know it's going to work. So why would we go through a tremendous amount of effort trying to validate something and charging a customer for something that we know is going to work? Now, there's other pen testing firms that are like, always got to be on the table, do all this stuff, no stipulations. But hell, if a customer's like, yeah, don't even try phishing or don't even try social engineering because we know that you're going to get in, then if they know it, we know it, we can move on and test other things. Sure. Yep. Okay. What else do we have? Uh, how we should measure if the pen test service it does a good job or not based on the number of and quality of findings? I would say it's the quality of the report that dictates whether they did a good job or not. If it's a really good narrative base, if it's easy to understand, you can follow it through to its logical conclusion when you're, it's, you know, that's probably the sign of a good test because as long as it's not like nothing but pictures and nothing but a wall of, of, of text and you can understand what they were doing with the time that you paid them to work on your environment, I would say that's a better indicator of a high quality test versus number of findings. Because we've had ones where we have a sample redacted report for, from a purple team that John prefers the, 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 the findings were the it was low, I think is what it was. And then we have another one where it was like medium or high. And John's like, no, the low is better because it's outside the box thinking of type things. The things that we found weren't the traditionally found things. And the, and the report itself was really well laid out and easy to understand. And you could, you could tell that there was thought put into the, their, their, um, their process. It's, it's so purely subjective. Is it a good report? What about a network where they just hardened everything down and you had no success? There's no yep. findings, but what about the stories telling you what they attempted and, and how it was thwarted? You're like, is that valuable? I hope it's valuable because otherwise don't get a pen test done if your network is airtight because you only get bad reports. That doesn't seem to make sense. To me. Right. And that's, that's the other thing. Is, back, oh, uh, that also goes back needs to be done in most pen tests that I guess existed. A lot of firms, they just give findings reports. but I can think of a number of situations saved our ass in a pen test report. Or we, and then we have this methodology that's like, you know, which is long of all the things that the tester actually tried and the customers a lot of different things and you weren't able to find very much. And then they, whereas if you give a report that's like five pages long, like, how do I know that you didn't spend you know, like the entire time on, on your computer instead of actually doing a pen test to make sure that people understand what's done and they can actually do it as well. Alrighty. And I think Jason had to step away, so I'll just ask the next one too. Um, you wouldn't mess up chain of custody if you do a pen test doing an attack. 
I guess forensically, I think. So that's what's forens- yeah, if we're if we're conducting a test and it's in the middle of a of an attack. Full stop. <laughs> Full stop. Get out. <laughs> if, well, there's a couple. Customer, that's what you recommend. Well, it's full stop. Get out. We did have that one customer. You remember? Yeah, we, we switched. No, to no, no, no. We're like, no, we, we need to stop. No, no, it's cool. It's cool. Keep record of what you actually did. It was, Keep oh, doing what you're doing. You're insane. This happens all the time. And we're doing. That was the one where we were doing a throw at the same time. We're like, was this you? This one wasn't us. Uh, this is the actual attack. Uh, so that was a customer that we had a great relationship with, and they were a lot of fun to work with. Well. All right. So we've done about 20 minutes of rapid fire. We got a lot of questions, but what I like to do is just kind of wrap up with final thoughts. And CJ, the way I want to direct your final thoughts, and John, uh, we're losing you a little bit on uh, bandwidth, uh, is the when we test customers, we happen to have some of the best customers because they are seeking education. They are coming to webcast. They're reading blogs. They are they're they're consumers of knowledge. And when they happen to be tougher customers, would that be like that's where I want to direct this last little bit? Like, how can you get better at security so that way when you get pen tested or you get to that point where you decide to do it? So, in your final thoughts. I'm throwing it to you, Brian. Are you throwing it to me? Yeah. I'm going to throw it to you while I formulate my <laughs> thoughts, and then I'll cut you off in about three Perfect. seconds. But as you can tell right now, I'm stalling while I think of what to say. And I'm I... question, Jason, but so get going on pen testing early. Always be willing to change. Communicate so you're getting what you want. Security is cyclical. You got to keep going. Pen testing is a, a very highly established part of that. You've got to adjust. You've got to, you know, figure out your cost benefits and do what's right for you. And, and don't be afraid to, to share your thoughts and concerns about that problem specifically with the pen test company and see if they're going to advise you. Yeah, I have no, I have nothing to add. I think that's I think that's great. Don't don't be afraid to do a pen test because. That would kind of be my thing. Of like, if there were, they might not be ready. Then do a pen test. I would. That's what I would recommend. Go right back on. to the medical analogy. I'm afraid that I might have a heart condition, but I don't want to go in and, and have any heart work done. I, so, I saw that on Seinfeld. I was watching a Seinfeld episode the other day, and George refused to go to the doctor because if if he goes to the doctor, they'll find something, and if he doesn't go, it'll just go away. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> That is perfect. 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 All right. And with that, thank you so much for joining us here today for this Black Hills Information Security. If you do need a pen test, you know where to find us. Uh, There's also many, many friends up there. So find the one that is best for you. And we'll see you next time.